the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Ron Geyer. Happy Sunday evening. Thank you for listening. We are teaching on the book of Revelation. This is the fourth book. We're going to start the book of uh, the church at Thyatira. They're all one book, but the churches. We've covered Ephesus. We've covered the church that loved God, the church that forgot that they loved God, the church that was a great working church. We've covered Smyrna, the church where heroes go, the persecuted church. We talked about the Church of Compromise last week, Pergamos, which was still a great church. They were working for God. They did great things for God. And now, according to the heading in your Bible, we're into the church of Thyatira, and my Bible says they're the corrupt church. And let's read a couple of verses here. We'll see how far we get. This is uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. I won't read them all, just a couple of three. Verse 18, And unto the angel, the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Verse 19. I know thy works, and thy charity, and thy service, and thy faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Uh, Let's stop right there. That's two verses. And he's introducing us to the church at Thyatira. And let me tell you a little bit about Thyatira. Thyatira was called a... A fortress city. They were a military outpost. And they were on the road, the post road, but they protected the city of Pergamus. Pergamus was the city where the seat of Roman government was housed. And so they built another city to protect them from the invading armies from Asia from the east. And so Diatara was its name. It was actually a military outpost. And it was built there. It was funded by Pergamus. They wanted to give their money to build it and everything. And they housed several thousand troops there. And it's a picture of a picture of the love and the respect that they had for the church at Pergamus. And that's Thyatira. It wasn't a beautiful city like Smyrna or Ephesus. It wasn't a, a city that was steeped in culture or art. It was a military outpost. And let me make this statement here because I love teaching the book of Revelation and I love so intently the seven churches. And I'm telling you, it's called Revelation for a reason. I don't think you get a better revelation of who Jesus Christ is anywhere else in the Bible than from reading Jesus's message to the seven churches. In my opinion, there isn't a better book in the Bible, the Gospels included. And that's as far as revealing Christ. 
And that's why it's called the book of Revelation, because it reveals Jesus Christ, who is the central theme of the book. The book of Revelation, remember, the book of Revelation, the central theme of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. The lessons we teach, the word that we share, they're all designed to do just that, reveal Jesus Christ. You know, my wife and I, we've been criticized and we've been denied teaching assignments. We've had classes canceled because we were too word-based. Some people told us that. Some people just slid the back door and said, don't come anymore. But, you know, you cannot know God apart from knowing his word. And you must know the word of God to know who Jesus Christ is. If you know, if you have a very little knowledge of the word, then you have a very small, you probably lack an intimate relationship with God because it's Jesus Christ who reveals it. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. Jesus reveals God. And you're designed to reveal him to other people, but you can't give what you don't have. You can't preach what you don't know. Verse 18, let's get started. Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Unlike the other churches we have seen so far, Thyatira was not a rich, beautiful metropolis with lofty buildings and refined culture. It was a workplace. It was a working place. They had a fund. They had a supply. They had to provide for the military, the thousands of military troops that were based there. And so they had guilds that would make them clothes for the output. They'd make weapons. I mean, it was a thriving city in that regard. And it was a wealthy city. Part of its wealth came from the fact that Pergamus sent megabucks over because if we could keep Thyatira strong, the people of uh, Pergamus thought, then we won't get attacked or at least they'll slow them down while we prepare for battle. The Roman government, which was housed in Pergamus, It was a prize to be gained, and they guarded that by creating the city of Thyatira. It was established to halt any advancing armies. Pergamus was the richest city, the cultural capital of the land, rich in excess. It was actually financing the creation of the city of Thyatira, and they were generous to a fault, making sure that it was secure. Thousands of troops lived there. Guilds were created to provide for the needs, for the farming, for the food, for the uh, weaponry of the clothing of the troops. And so it was a thriving city in that sense. Like other cities, Christians, they either worked in the guilds or the unions, as it were, or they went without. They were forced to attend meetings whereby allegiance was pledged to any number of local idols. Every guild had their own idol. These meetings eventually devolved into raucous celebrations and parties where booze, drugs, sexual depravity, idol worship ruled the day. The Christians who worked were required, like everyone else, to attend these meetings. They were mandatory. You're going to work in our guild, you're going to attend our meetings. It was that simple. If they didn't, they would lose their jobs, and eventually they were blacklisted, making it impossible for them to work there. Apollos was the main god there. He was the god of the military. And Jesus reveals himself at the beginning as I thought about that. He says, unto the angel of the church at Thyatira, write these things, say it, the son of God. Don't forget, Apollos was the son of Zeus, and he paraded himself. They paraded him as the God, the son of the God, 
Zeus. And Jesus says, I am the son of the true God. I love the way he challenged the idolatry in these letters. He put it right up front. You're worshiping people, the son of Zeus, the false god, and Apollos, you made him the god of the military, where I am the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. I will rule the nations with a rod of iron. No one can stand up to me, and I happen to be the son of the only true God. You may have, Greece may have Zeus and Apollos. The church has Jesus Christ, the son of the living true God. I love it. It's rare for Jesus to use his divinity when speaking, but here apparently he found it necessary to reveal himself in such a way. He didn't say I'm the son of man here, although he often did in the gospels. Here he says, I am the son of God. And Jesus reveals himself further. He is described as having eyes like unto a flame of fire. That's not good. The Greek, when describing Jesus' eyes in the language used, there is a sense of wonder associated with this flame of fire, as it were. It describes a swirling, whirling, mesmerizing type of flame. It's a blazing fire. It's not no cheap little sit-by-the-fire, kind of kick back, take your shoes off, give me my pipe up on the couch type of fire. This is a blazing, burning inferno. Hallelujah. This fire in his eyes, it's got life. It is not mellow. It's not laid back. It is not a fire for the purpose of warmth or relaxation. The heat of the fire is not what's accented in the way Jesus says this. Rather, the personality or the character of the fire is what's being pointed out. The fire in the eyes of the Messiah is a searching, probing, purifying, destructive fire. Rick Renner writes it this way. The fact that Jesus was coming to the church of Thyatira with fire in his eyes indicates his desire to purify them of their impurities. But if they refused to cooperate with the purification process, that same fire would bring judgment upon them. Then it goes on, and his feet are like fine brass. Now this is interesting. The phrase fine brass in the Greek is a compound word. I don't think I'm going to say it right. Kokolabano. I did pretty good. The first part of the word is kokos, C-H-A-L-K-O-S, and that's translated as brass or better as bronze. But it's the second part that reveals another aspect of the character of Christ here. It's libanos, and it means frankincense, the spice frankincense. Brass or bronze in the Bible always represents judgment, while frankincense represents prayer or intercession. It was the perfumed incense used by the Jewish high priest in the Holy of Holies when he made intercession for the people of Israel. Basically, the picture that Jesus is trying to convey here is one of the head of the church coming to the saints at Thyatira, yes, in judgment, judgment which has been bathed in prayer, prayer which is still ongoing. Jesus isn't in a hurry here. Unlike the church of Pergamos, where he was coming to them at a swift gallop, here he's kind of lollygagging. The feet of brass, they're heavy. He's moving slowly. Jesus doesn't wish to destroy anyone. And I guess what he's trying to tell us is this church has not really had the full weight of repentance thrown upon them yet because he's taking his time in coming to them. Matter of fact, the truth that his feet are like brass reveals even more. Last week, we learned Jesus was coming at a gallop to the church of compromise over in Pergamos. Today, he's dealing with the church of corruption at Thyatira, and he's taking his time. He's not moving at his swiftest. He's moving slowly, steadily, speedily, 
and his judgment of the corruption in this church is going to take time. And he's moving toward them while intercession is still being made for them. It's a picture that it's never too late to get right with God. There is always hope until there isn't hope anymore. Verse 19, he says, I know thy works, and I know thy charity, and I know thy service, and I know thy faith, and I know thy patience, and I know thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Now, these are all good things here. He's saying your works is good at the beginning and at the end. He's saying that your love is good. He's saying your service is good. Your faith is good. Your patience is all good. And as always, Jesus is going to start off by commending them for the good things that were going on in his church. They were busy for Jesus in works. Their love was exemplary. The church was the home of the true servants of God. If Smyrna had uh, heroes, then Thyatira had servants. They were busy. They lived by faith. They were known for their patience, or rather their endurance, under pressure. And they increased in works. The more mature they became, the more greater their works were. This was a great church. And the increase in works was not necessarily they did greater works, but they were greater in quantity, not necessarily quality. They were working for Jesus, and they continued to work, and their love and their faith and their patience and their service produced in them a greater zeal to continue doing more works. The bottom line is this church at Thyatira, yes, it was corrupt in its wickedness, but man, this was a great church. Regarding love... This love was exclusive to them. Remember he said it's written in the definite article and he says, I know thy charity. I know thy love. It is written with the definite article which means it's always assigned to something specific. They lived by faith. They were known for their patience. Just a wonderful working church. They had made Christ love their love. Isn't that awesome? They weren't loving like we are in America today. We've counterfeited. We've carnalized. We've weakened. We have compromised the true love of Christ. We've removed the uh, suffering from the love of Christ. We've removed the judgment from the love of Christ. This church had it all regarding the love of Christ. All of these aspects of their works were written with the definite article to show that the things that he congratulated them for, your patience, it was theirs. Your love, it was theirs. Your faith, it was there. The other churches, no, this was yours. All of these aspects of their works were personal. They owned the things that they were doing. They made the love of Christ their own. They made the works their own. They made Christ's patience their own. I love it. I love it. They were doing it and they owned it. Their faith, and this is not a personal type of faith. This was not an individual faith, saving faith. This was the faith, the totality of faith, the totality of the Word of God. This was the embodiment of the creed of Christianity. That's the faith that Jesus is talking about here. It was a high regard for the totality of Scripture, for the body, the entire body of truth. They were a committed church, and Jesus lauded them for their efforts. They weren't just trying. They were succeeding. When the gospel was first brought to this military outpost, the city was dark. It was steeped in all kinds of pagan religions and idol worship. But this church was successful in ministry. They preached, they got out of the way, and they let the gospel have its course. Unlike America today, they didn't change the gospel. They didn't take out the hard parts. They didn't just preach the nice stuff for the itching ears. They preached it all. They bore fruit. Jesus recognized it, and he complimented for it. They preach, they get out of the way, let the gospel have its course, and that always meets with success. 
And that's something that Jesus can bless. We need to go back to that in our churches today. We've altered so many things. Great pastors, well, they're not pastors, but they're saying that we won't preach about sin in our church. Well, you're right. It's your church. Jesus is not in that church. But that you can't do that. You can't say that. Well, we don't want to give them the hard stuff. Life is hard. It's already beating them up. You don't get to make that choice. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for those truths that you were belittling. Jesus died for those truths that you're taking out of your gospel presentation. You're no man of God. You're not even a servant of God. You're being used of Satan to bring destructive heresies that are not having the effect of salvation, but you're you're damning people by preaching these heresies. The Bible actually calls them damnable heresies. By not preaching the truth, by preaching this trash, this garbage, this compromise, you are damning people to a future in hell. Shame on you. I pray God, I pray the Lord Jesus Christ remove you from the pulpit at the earliest opportunity and replace you with men and women with a bark on. Men and women that'll preach salvation no matter the cost, no matter the the popularity it cost them. Verse 20. No, I'm not there yet. I'm sorry. They were committed. When the gospel was first brought, it was a very dark place. They were preaching this light in the midst of darkness, and Jesus was lauding them for it. Now, as he goes on, and he congratulates them for it, and he pats them on the back, he goes to the next verse 20, and he talks about the fact that even in the midst of this, even in the midst of your success, I've still got a few things against you. Now, me, if I'm in this church, I'm doing pretty good. He's patted me on the back, told us how great we're doing. And he's only got a few things against us, which is great. But let's look at what he's talking about here. Notwithstanding, nevertheless, even though, even in the midst of all this, you've got a few things against you that I hold against you that are offensive to me that wound me personally because you allow that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. That's not good. That's a mouthful. Notice it's a woman. When we understand this, you're going to realize what he's talking about. Do I talk about it this week or do I get there next week? Okay, I'm going to talk about it this week, I believe. Let's go to it. This is where it gets rather dicey for the church at uh, Thyatira. Jesus had a few things against them. The phrases I have denotes a very personal anger, a huge displeasure, a deeply disturbing gripe with this church. So you say, how can Jesus come in the church for great stuff and then still go ahead and rebuke them and be so wounded by what they're doing? Don't get, nobody's perfect. Jesus is, but we're here. We have faults. We're living in a sinful environment. We're living in a world where Satan is the God of this world system. We're living in a place that is dominated by sinners. We are only strangers and pilgrims here. We don't have final say-so in what goes on here in the natural realm. We have weapons in the realm of the spirit. That's where our jurisdiction is. But we're still going to live in an environment where sin's dominating, and we get stuck there. We get caught up there, which always brings us back to the Word of God. You've got to read your Bible every day, saints. You've got to read that Bible every single day. You must know the Word of God. You must know it in. You must know it out, upside down, backward, left, right. You've got to know the Word of God because that's where your life is hid, in Christ. Jesus is the Word of God. That's why I say if you don't know the Bible, you don't know Jesus. The main problem here at this church was this lady who called Jezebel because you allow that woman Jezebel Now, whether or not her real name was Jezebel, it's slightly important, but it's not 
totally necessary to understand what Jesus is saying. Remember now, who is this letter written to? It's written to the church? No. It's written to the Anglos, or it's written to the ministry leader. It's written to the pastor of the church. It's written to the messenger. It's written to the pastor of the church at Thyatira. This is really interesting. I should be able to get this point in. Because that allow to give unrestrained freedom to that woman, that woman, it's really not the best translation. Earlier Greek translations render that to be more accurately, not that woman, your woman. Nevertheless, I have something against you because you allow your woman to teach things. Many modern-day Bible commentators acknowledge that this is correct, that it's your woman and not that woman. And since Jesus is speaking to the pastor, guess what? Basically, he is saying, you are allowing your wife to teach wrong things. Pastor, your wife is out of order. This is serious stuff. I know there's big fussing and fuming about whether women can be pastors, whether they can teach in churches and everything like that. And yet you, you always go back. What's his name? How do I say it? His name is Vadi Baucom. I think that's how you say it. And close enough. <laughs> Vadi, Vadi Baucom. And uh, he's got a wonderful teaching out on this. And basically, according to Paul in the Bible, women are not to be senior pastors in churches. Get that through your head. When you are out of order, and I have seen this, believe me, I have seen it. She creates a wounding within the church, and she destroys the Holy Ghost programs of God when you have a woman out of position like that. You need to be so careful. The thing that displeases Jesus wasn't that the wife was teaching. Women are allowed to teach. But the problem was it's what she was teaching. The analogy to Jezebel is disturbing enough. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, both wicked rulers, Jahab. Ahab and Jezebel, they were wicked rulers over Israel, and their names are always synonymous. They're always names that are associated with rebellion, witchcraft, and evil. By Jesus using the word sufferest or allowing, he's noting his grievous displeasure that no one has restrained or controlled this woman. She has license to do whatever she wishes in the church. So, who should have been doing the restraining? The pastor should have been doing the restraining, of course. I'll tell you this, this woman was probably dominating the pastor in his home life too. With great honor and honor of position also comes great responsibility. This pastor may have been a strong leader. He may have even been a strong Christian. But when it came to his wife, he failed miserably. And look at the repercussions. First, this woman called herself a prophetess. My general rule if you call yourself a, a person of the fivefold ministry, you label yourself a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, a prophet, you're not in my book, and I just run away from you. I'll grant you there's some wiggle room there with pastor. I think pastors should announce themselves as pastors, but they should be men. So, the pastor, she called herself, the pastor's wife, she called herself a prophetess. She was. She was a false prophetess, not called by God. We have similar problems in today's churches. False prophets are everywhere. Just because God calls a man to pastor a church doesn't necessarily mean that God called the women too. I don't know where we get that from. Truth is, a wife should always help her husband to pastor the church, which is quite different than a wife helping her husband pastor the church. Let me say that again. The truth is, a wife should always help her husband to pastor the church, but a wife should never help her husband pastor the church. 
She was teaching, which is good. Women are allowed to teach. She was seducing, which is bad. Teachers today are doing the same thing, though it seems as often as not in America, our erroneous teaching is not so much in what we say, but it's in what we don't say. We think we can outsmart God. I won't get in trouble if I don't say this. Uh, We think uh, we know better than he does. If the mantra of many who have submitted to a false gospel, instead of the real one is, I just won't say things that get me in trouble. I remember ministers, when they took over uh, uh, their ministries, they were careful what not to say because they didn't want to be held accountable. Well, you're going to be held accountable. There's no cowardice. That's cowardice. If you come until the pulpit's scared, you can leave the same way and you can leave now. You don't belong in the pulpit. Truth is, you should get in trouble with man for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should produce conflict. The gospel is confrontational. There's no easy way to present the truths of God. You're going to take a whipping. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to be rebuked. You're going to be mocked. That's just the nature of it. Do you think you're better than Jesus? Have you found a way to preach the gospel better than Jesus did? Do you think you can avoid the persecution and the uh, trials that Jesus had to go through? You may think that in your carnal mind, but if that's how you're thinking, if that's your thinking in the approach to being a pastor or a leader in the church, you need to find another job. I'm Ron Geyer. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.